Well, good morning. So I see the look of fear on some of your eyes, and I promise you I'm more afraid of you than you are of me. So it's going to be a good time. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity to be speaking uh, with you this morning. T-Mac uh, had already previously committed uh, to preach in Emporia this morning, and he wanted to be faithful to his commitments uh, that he made prior to being here. So I am grateful uh, for an opportunity to share uh, from the Word with you. Uh, so before we get into that, let's just pray uh, clarity for me uh, and uh, lots of those good things. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word. And God, we pray that this would not just be hearing your word. That as a result, we would be doers of your word. God, I pray that you speak through me uh, in a new way today. Uh, God, be working uh, in the hearts of those that are here with us this morning. God, we pray that your spirit would be felt and followed, and that we would pay attention to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So I want to take uh, advantage of the opportunity of talking with you uh, and share kind of a two-part message with you. One is kind of a testimony of what's been happening uh, in my life in the last little bit, uh, and then applying some scripture um, to what God has been revealing to me. So before we get into that, I want to ask you to take out your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 12. Uh, we're not going to go very deep into this passage. I, my prayer is that the message will explain why I'm sharing with this with you uh, to begin with. So Romans chapter 12. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I share that with you to kind of give you a picture of what's been happening uh, in, in my life. Some of you know this, some of you don't, so if you know it, just bear with me and, and pray for me as I share it. This standing here before you today has been somewhat of a journey for me. Uh, ministry has always been uh, something that is kind of a background for me, um, but not, not my foreground, not what, I, not what I do. It just kind of, in my mind, was something that happened. Uh, and so before I tell you what's been happening recently, I want to take you uh, really far back uh, to the day I was born. Uh, I don't remember it. Um, I'm guessing most of you don't remember it. That was 33 and a half years ago. It hurts me to say it. I uh, hope it hurts you to hear it because that just make, means I'm getting older. Uh, but, but the day I was born, I'm told because I don't remember, uh, my grandmother uh, held me in her arms and she said, this one's going to be a preacher. Now, I don't remember that. I'm just told that. Uh, and so I re I've been told that my entire life and have just kind of pushed that back and said, that's not, that's not me. Uh, so as I, I was going to say as I grew up, but that's not true. As I got older, uh, I went through school and I, I went through uh, ICC and I got ready to go to Pitt State. And so those of you who've been to college know that you have to declare a major before you can actually start school. 
which I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, I didn't know that I wanted to grow up, so I didn't know that I, you know, I just knew I have to have a job, so I have to do something or I can't go to college. And so I did something that I don't recommend any of you students do, uh, but I just took the course book, flipped through it, closed my eyes, and put my finger down. Now, I recognize that God controls even the rolling of the dice, and so I know it's not chance, uh, but my finger landed on social work. And I thought, okay, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be a social worker. Uh, And you'll see throughout the course of me sharing this that God has a really interesting sense of humor. (laughs) And so he he let me do it. He let me uh, go to school and and graduate. I was not a great student, but I got the degree, and that's all that matters. Uh, And I went right into... Uh, I mean, seriously, what do you call a C student in medical school? Doctor. That's right. Uh, so I got, got the degree, became a social worker, and began uh, my first job as a professional. I became uh, what was called a family and children's uh, worker. And my job was to work with families who their children had been removed or they were getting ready to be removed. And so my job was to go in and help them know how to raise their kids, work on their marriages, and help their keep their houses clean, which was really impressive because I was a newlywed, had no kids, and my house was really dirty. And so, as you can imagine, that, prob- that didn't go well, and I wasn't really received all that well. And I'm being honest with you when I say I hated my job. I absolutely hated my job. And God graciously gave me an opportunity out of that and blessed me with a layoff. I didn't realize that the layoff was a blessing, um, but I no longer had to do that job, and it was amazing. And I had the best four months of my life on unemployment. I was in the best best health of my life. Uh, Jeremy and Lance and some others would come over, and we would stay up all night, and we would walk to the donut shop at 4 a.m. when it opened. It was beautiful. Like, life was good. Uh, I miss those days. Uh, but as every grown man has to do, I had to get a job. Uh, and so I... I was kind of looking, kind of avoiding, because I knew I had a little bit of, of uh, unemployment left, and I thought, eh, I'll just take advantage of it. Uh, but God wasn't going to let that happen, and I was at Walmart and ran smack dab into a woman who said, I thought you left town. I said, no, I've been here the whole time, and she basically offered me a job standing in Walmart. She said, all you have to do is come up to the Arco building and uh, do a interview, and we'll give you the job. And so no lie, I was hired uh, for that job before I ever filled out the application. And that job was being a probation officer for juveniles, which my friends know me, and you know, knowing probation officers, that to be a probation officer, there's a measure of you that has to be a jerk. And I was great at my job. <laughs> Let me just tell you. And I, so I, I thought, man, this is who God has built me to be. This is who I was designed to be. And so I, I sat at my desk and I I yelled at kids, and I, I held them accountable for breaking the law, and you know, some of them have come back and thanked me. That's just God's graciousness. That's all there is to that. But um, I, th- I thought I had arrived. I was, I was uh, doing lots of ministry things, working with the youth, leading worship, now doing this job, and he was giving me opportunity to use my skills in the youth group, uh, and it was just, everything was going good, but something was, was wrong. It was missing. And I began, in like fashion, to hate my job and to hate people um, because I was continually being lied to and continually being taken advantage of. And and it just ate away at me. And I thought, there's got to be more 
uh, to life than trudging through a horrible, horrible job, which in reality was a fantastic job. I could have retired at 55 if I just stayed. I mean, and the closer I get to that age, I keep thinking, oh, I should have stuck it out. But, uh, but God uh, was gracious to me again, and in August of 2016, I checked my mailbox, and there was a flyer in it that said that Harry Hines Hospice was looking... Or a social worker. There, I got it out. And I thought, gosh, I've always wanted to do hospice. And my friends knew that I wanted to do hospice. And, and I thought, I looked at the, the requirements, and I thought, I don't have that. I don't have the, the, I don't have it. I don't have a master's degree. I don't have what they want. I don't have any healthcare experience. I don't have anything. All I had was a guy on my side sitting in the back and God. And so I, I took the, the flyer, and I, I ran home, and I showed it to Amber, and we came, and we talked to Pastor David, and we said, we don't know what this is about. What should we do? Uh, and he and I prayed together about it. We talked about it, and he said, you know what? Run at it. If it's God's will, he's going to do it. And if, he, if it's not, he's going to stop you. And so I did. I, I ran at it full force, uh, and nothing happened for like four months. And I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? What's happening? Wondering, am I just supposed to be content in the job that I have? What does God have for me? Uh, But God answered my prayer, uh, and in December of 2016, I became a social worker for Harry Hines Hospice without the credentials I needed. And in my interview with them, I shared with them something that they they have not let me forget. What I said to them was, I'm applying for the wrong job. And they looked at me funny, and I said, if I had my preference, I would be your chaplain, not your social worker. And we walked through that, but I didn't have those credentials either. So here I am, a social worker for Harry Hines Hospice. And in December of 2016, I thought, this is what I was built for. God has, I've arrived. God has has set me on the right place. I'm leading worship. I'm working with the youth. I'm working with people as they're dying, and I thought I had arrived, and I got comfortable. I'm not going to spend any time on this this next little bit, but I'm just going to tell you something happened, and the bottom fell out of that. And where I had my identity wrapped up disappeared. In my heart, I began to question, what is God doing? I thought I knew. I thought I understood. I thought I knew exactly what God had for me. But the bottom fell out of it, and all of a sudden, I wasn't leading worship anymore. I was just part of the congregation and just going to work. And truthfully, in my heart, I gave up a little. But through prayer uh, and grace... God was able to give me the ability to trust him. Uh, and fast forward. God gives me an opportunity uh, to be 
playing the drums again, and I'm passionate about it, and I look goofy while I'm doing it, but I love it. And so, <laughs> so I, I felt, again, like, yes, I've arrived. God has figured it out, and I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Uh, I know that's not the right wording, but that's where my heart was. Uh, and uh, I thought, okay, this is it. Fast forward a little bit just to make this brief. I apologize, this is lengthy. Uh, probably a month ago, uh, Chaplain Keith and I were uh, at a, a, a man's home. And the whole point of what I do is try to prepare people uh, to go uh, peacefully. Make sure that they're prepared emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever. A team of us go and we try to minister to these people as best as we can. And, and we were knelt uh, beside this patient. Chaplain Keith looked at me, and he said, did you see that? And I said, well, no. What did I see? Uh, and he shared with me uh, that while we were praying, he, he looked at me, and he said, I felt as though uh, God took something off of me and put it on you. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, and he knows it. I did not know what he was talking about, but I trusted that he knew what he was talking about. And so we fleshed that out just a little bit. And, and we continued to, to, to talk, and I continued to pray, trying to figure out what is God trying to do? What is God saying? Because I, I struggle to hear God's voice. Uh, and so three weeks ago, or however long it was, while the youth were at camp, uh, we had a, a prayer partner, and we were <clears throat> preparing to pray for her and trying to figure out how can, how can God reveal himself to her? How can God uh, begin to show her what God has for her life? And little did I know that while I was praying for her, he was doing that for me. And during that week, I was asked to do two funerals. And this is where God's sense of humor comes in again. So on Tuesday, I did a, a, a funeral, and I shared with it. And this woman, who I'm confident does not know Jesus, came up to me and said, you missed your calling, you should have been a pastor. And I said, uh, shh, don't say things like that to me. <laughs> just, just shut her down, like, don't say that. And, and so in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, God, what are you doing? Uh, that day, Chaplain Keith uh, ripped out an article from a magazine and threw it at me and said, this is for you. God told me to give it to you. Uh, and it was a flyer for a seminary. Uh, I threw it in my car and said, thanks, but no thanks, is what I said uh, when I drove away because I was resisting uh, what was happening to me. And on Wednesday morning, I was preparing to do another funeral, and I got a phone call from my boss. And she, she called me and she said, Stephen, I had a dream, and I need to know what it means, and I need you to talk me through it. And I'm like, I don't... In- what, what are you calling me for? I don't know. And she tells me the story that she had had a dream about a patient of mine who had been to a church service the night before and had gone home and killed himself. And she said, I want you to make sure that that, that did not happen. And as she was talking to me, something came over me, and I said, I said, Kristen, I don't think you had a dream. I think you had a vision. And we, we talked about some other things, and it just came, became clear to me that, that I was to go and talk with her. And I called Keith, and he told me the same thing, that I was to go. And so I was on my way to, uh, to the funeral and praying that God would, would help me that day and figure it because I, I really enjoy doing funerals for whatever reason, uh, but it makes me nervous. And so I'm just thinking, God, just walk me through this. Pray me through this. Help me, help me do this. And so I got through the funeral, and another person came up to me and said, you missed your calling. You should have been a pastor. And I'm like, is this written somewhere that people are just reading? Uh, and I'm like, okay, I'm rejecting that. I'm moving on. And so I go to this guy's home, and the whole time I'm driving there, I have an hour drive there, and I pray out loud when I drive so that I can focus. And I just prayed, God, how am I supposed to tell this guy why I'm here? I was here two days ago, and I'm supposed to explain to this guy that I'm here to make sure he didn't kill himself. 
And I'm just the whole time I'm thinking, I've got to come up with something better than that. I've got to figure out how to get in this door. And this guy, I knocked on the door. He opens the door, not fully closed, but for whatever reason, that's part of the story. And he said, what are you doing here, Steve? And I said, well, and I started to say something that was not fully the truth. Uh, and a voice uh, said to me, just tell him. And so I did. I told him, I said, my boss sent me here because God told her to. And I came to make sure uh, that you didn't kill yourself. And he began to cry. And for an hour and a half, I was able to share Jesus with him. A man who confessed Christ, but had no fruit no evidence of the Spirit. But he knew. He had knowledge. And so for an hour and a half, I was able to minister to him, and he cried, and he let me pray with him. And, and so in my mind, pieces are starting to go together. I'm like, oh, oh boy. Where are we headed with this? And so on my hour drive home, I prayed again. And, and I prayed, okay, God, I hear you. I get it. I know what you're saying, but there's no way I can go home and asked my wife for, to let me spend thousands of dollars I do not have and to take years away from family to, to do this. Because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was telling me, you're going to seminary. You will do this. And I said, God, I can't do that. So if that's what you want from me, you have to tell Amber. Because if I say all that, she's going to hit me in the mouth. <laughs> so I went home, dr- drove my hour home, sat on my bed, and I began to type about the day. Uh, and she came home, and like normal, she sat on the end of the bed and, for whatever reason, did not look at me. Uh, I wouldn't either. But so, so we're sharing, and, and I'm telling her about the day. And she paused, and she, she looked up, and she said, Well, I guess you better go to seminary then. God answered me loudly and in under an hour. And that terrified me, but it reduced me to this, reduced me to to just uncontrolled weeping. And that was Wednesday, and by Friday, I submitted my application to Midwestern Theological Seminary God has put pieces together every day since then. And if all goes well, in the fall of this year, I will be in seminary, which terrifies me to death. But I don't tell you any of that to lift myself up in any way, but to bring encouragement to you Because God is loudly calling out to all of us in a very similar way. Not in the go to seminary way, not in the vocational ministry way, but in in a faith way. Like this journey that God threw me down is only by faith. Because I don't have the money to do this. I'm not a good student. I'm not really that good at a whole lot of things. But God allows graciousness to to flourish and he lets me do them. 
and here's the other piece of um, sense of humor that I'll give you before we really get into to how the scripture ties into this. Uh, years and years and years ago, I told Amber, uh, in preparation for college, I said, you know, I don't know what I want to do. What would you say if I just became a pastor? And she said, probably 15 years ago, I did not sign up to be a pastor's wife. That's not what I want to do. <laughs> but God's sense of humor worked it out that her lips are the one that gave me the, conf- the confirmation that that's what I should do. And I don't know if you've ever felt extreme joy or extreme freedom, but there is freedom in being in the will of God. When I have brief moments of doubt, I'm quickly brought back to an understanding that if I am faithful to what God has called me to do, he will provide for me. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I'm going to try to do it briefly because I know that that took a while. But, but God will provide. And I want to show you in Scripture how that's true. Um, so I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter 17. Because the Scripture is full of stories of people who stepped out on faith and God provided for them. Now, the theme that we're going to notice is that sometimes provision does not look the way that we would expect. So, 1 Kings chapter 17. This is the story, a story of Elijah. I still hear pages, so I'll wait just a minute. All right, starting in verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to do it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you've said. But first make a little cake of it. And bring it to me, and afterward make yourself something and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. And what I found fascinating... in in preparing to share that story with you is that Elijah went in faith from the very, very beginning because when he went to see that king, what he had just got done doing was praying and asking God not to send 
rain. So he's praying and saying, God, please, please, please do not send rain for this many years. I don't remember how many years it was, but it was three. Thank you. Three years. Then he got up and went directly to the king and said, guess what? God's not going to send any rain for three years. He didn't even wait for an answer. He just said, God, please do this. And got up and went to the king and said, it's not going to rain for three years. God honored his faithfulness and his trust in him, and it didn't rain. Then God speaks to him again and says, go drink from a brook, and some dirty birds are going to bring you some food. I don't know if you've ever seen a raven. Those things are terrifying. They're, and I would have to really trust that that was from God to eat anything a bird like that brought me. But he was provided for over and over and over. And then, this is where I would stumble. When the brook dried up, I would begin to think, uh-oh, what I do wrong? God's not providing. But that wasn't true. It dried up because God was being faithful. And so he said, now go to this widow. And this widow had nothing, just a little flour, a little oil. And, and she was faithful to what Elijah said his God would do. And there's multiple blessings that fell upon this woman for her faithfulness to his God. And Elijah was blessed because of his faithfulness to God. He was provided for in ways that were very, very unexpected. Birds don't normally bring you food. And when they do, it's normally some sort of a judgment. That's all I'm saying. But, but they, those folks in this story listened to what God had to say. They were faithful to him, and God provided. But I think it is important to stop and recognize that I am under no circumstances saying that if you just have enough faith, anything is going to happen. That is not what I'm saying. The scripture is very clear that with the faith, faith of a mustard seed, you could, be, you could say to this mountain, throw yourself into the ocean, and it will. But what God is, is saying is he will provide what he knows is best. He will, he will provide what he, you need. So just because if I get shot in the arm and I just put a little compression on it and I say, God, I have faith that you're going to heal this, maybe he will if that's what you need. But if you don't do anything... Like, you're probably going to bleed out because maybe God's going to heal you like that and maybe he's not. But it doesn't have to do with your faith. What God is saying here and what we're recognizing is that our faithfulness to what God has already promised us and what God is leading us in is powerful. He will provide because he's faithful when we're not. But we are called to faithfulness. And Paul, in his letter, believed that God would provide everything for us. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in, in glory in Christ Jesus. And we know that he has the resources to do all of that because Psalm chapter 50, verse 10 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. And so he establishes here, and in Philippians, that he can and will provide every need, and he has everything he needs to do it, regardless of us. But we are called to be faithful. But this idea of provision from God is not new. Uh, Abraham is where we begin to see it start to play out. When Abraham took Isaac up the mountain uh, with everything for a sacrifice except an animal, uh, and went up the mountain, and I can just see... Isaac kind of looking around like, 
okay, where's the sacrifice? And getting up to the top of the mountain and, and getting tied up and Abraham just getting ready to, to plunge uh, the, the weapon into him and God stopping him and providing a sacrifice so that Isaac didn't have to die. Abraham had to be faithful and Isaac didn't have to die. And at that mountain, Abraham calls God Jehovah-Jireh. Which means God will provide. And so when we think of provider, we often think of someone who gives us money or gives us food or gives us stuff. But here's something interesting. In, in the spirit of going to seminary, I'm going to give you a little bit of, of information here. Our word provide comes from a Latin word, providere, which if I'm saying it right, great. If I'm not, you don't know. <laughs> so it's, it's great. So pro, providere, which means to see before. Like that should spark something in us. That God is not just a sugar daddy doling out things. That's right, I said sugar daddy. I saw all of you. Yeah, that's in the recording. It's always there. He's more than that. He sees before. Your need did not and will not catch him off guard. He sees before. And that should cause us to trust him deeper and more fully. And to love him more because he cares to know our needs and our future needs. But he calls us to faithfulness. There are more examples in Scripture. We're not going to take the time to turn to them, but I can just think of a few right off the top of my head. Daniel in the lion's den, unwilling to to waver from his commitment to God, was thrown into a pit of lions. Now, he had faith. I'm certain of it, but I don't think he thought that's how God would provide for him, that God would shut the mouths of the lions. God was faithful, and he shut the mouths of the lions, and he made it out alive. But I don't think that's how he expected it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to submit to the authority of the folks who were trying to get them to go against God's word. And as a result, they were thrown into a furnace that was set seven times hotter than it had ever been set before. And the people who were throwing them in were consumed. Like, the, the word consumed just means dust, gone, dead. That's hot, okay? I'm hot now. That's hot, <laughs> okay? And so... I'm sure they had the faith to know that God would provide for them, but I doubt very seriously they thought he would show up in that furnace. He stood there, and not a hair on their head was singed. He provided. Joseph, sold into slavery, thrown into prison, his life really, really stunk like 30 years. And if I'd been Joseph, I would have been really, really frustrated thinking God has forgotten me. God has given up on me. And the whole time God was working out for his good and he would be second in command of, of a nation that he would have everything he would ever need to bless that family who threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. You think that's what he expected? He had faith that God would come through for him. But the biggest example, and I love this guy, I talk about him every time I preach almost, 
biggest example of a guy who had faith and God came through is Noah. Noah, back in in Genesis, uh, God speaks to Noah and says, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with all of this. Y'all are sinners. I'm going to be done with you. I'm going to kill every, I'm just going to kill y'all. I'm done. So he says to Noah, I want you to build a boat because it's going to rain. And I can just see the puzzled look on Noah's face. And him, like, I don't know if you've seen uh, Evan Almighty. Uh, I'm not telling you that's biblically accurate. I'm just saying it's kind of a picture, kind of a picture of what's going on there. But I can see the look on Noah's face and him saying, I have two questions. Uh, One, what's rain? Uh, And two, what's a boat? Like, that's not something that they didn't, it had never rained before. And God's coming to Noah and saying, guess what? It's going to rain. It's going to flood. You're going to need a boat. And I can imagine that he went through ridicule and hardship and probably a lot of pain building that giant boat. But he knew that's what God told him to do. And he was faithful in it. And because he was faithful in it, his whole family was saved. God rescued them from death and destruction. And I'm guessing that is not what Noah really expected. He loved God, had faith, not what he expected. Lots of other examples in scriptures that we could look at. We're not going to. But the whole point of this, the whole point is that we, as believers in Christ, just like T-Max said last week, we need grace for salvation and grace for living. We need faith for salvation, which God freely supplies, but we need faith for living. And this daily life is not our own. God has a plan that is set for us. It does not always look the same for each of us. And I struggled throughout my life. God, what's, what's your will? And I resisted the idea that his will was not a specific thing. I'm, I'm still convinced that his will is for me to make him known and to glorify him with my body and my mind and my life. He's just working it out in such a way that I get to spend, as long as I pass school, I get to spend the rest of my working years telling people about Jesus and then coming here and helping you all get closer and closer to Jesus. Like, that's exciting for me. That's what God has for me. What does he have for you? Because it requires faith. Faith requires action. And I confused Jason when I put this chair up here. But if I put this chair here, it's an old rickety chair. makes some noise when you put it out. Kind of a, a little wobbly, if we're honest. But if I say to you, do you believe that this chair will hold you up? You're all going to say, yes. Okay. Now, if I said to you, who of you will come up here and demonstrate that this chair will hold you? Somebody's going to be sarcastic and come to the chair, but none of you were quick to say, I'll do that. That is not faith. If I say, I believe this chair holds me, it is not faith until I sit in the chair and allow it to uphold me and to sustain me. That's faith. 
And I, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm worried about us. I'm worried that there, there are people in this room who say, I have faith. I believe God. But never sit in the chair. And never trust him to take care of you and to provide. He's calling us to radical faith. Faith that does not make sense. The cross is foolishness to those who do not believe. And he's calling us to sit in the chair day after day. I titled this message, What Happens If You Do? Because my, five, my seven-year-old, ooh, just got old there, my seven-year-old always asks me when I tell him to do something, he always says, what happens if I don't? Now, you as parents know exactly what happens if he does not, but, but he always asks me that. And so, so this morning, I want to pose a question to you. What happens if you do? What happens if this morning you decide to step out in faith and to follow him and to trust that he will provide for you? What if as, and I'm just going to go ahead and have Jason go ahead and come up here. What happens if as we pray this morning, what if you step out in faith and confess the sin that you're hiding from your whole family? And trust that God will forgive you and do a work of restoration in your life. What happens if you do? What happens if you determine that you're going to talk to the person that you know if they died is going to hell? What happens if you do and you trust that God is going to give you the words you need and to lead you through it and to bring them to himself? What happens if you forgive that person who you refuse to forgive? You feel obliged obligated to hate and to hold contempt in your heart. What happens today if you believe and have faith and step out and seek reconciliation and believe that God will do a work in both of you? What happens if you follow him in baptism like we saw this morning? It's faith. It takes faith to step out and believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. He's going to provide. We are called to action. And that action is not taking in all the time. It's doing and stepping out and believing God will provide. It will not look pretty all the time. I'm new to this. I hope this is my, my heart and my spirit a year into seminary. I hope that I'm still at peace. prayer for you this morning is that you can know the peace and the joy of being right in the center of his will in submission that's what I figured out about this is what I'm doing right now is not obedience God called me to this years and years and years ago and I know with my own children that if I ask them to do something and they do it the first time that's obedience but if I have to poke if I have to prod I have to coerce. It's submission. This requires submission. We're going to sing. And the elders are going to come. And my call to you this morning is please do not leave the same. If you need to come and repent of your unfaithfulness, do it. If you need to come and step out in faith and do something, I beg you to do it. 
step out in faith. God will provide. Let's pray. God, you are good. And you love us. And you want us to have the desire of your heart, but God, you want us to be in your will so that the desire of our heart is that you would be made known and that you would be glorified. God, help us to trust you, to step out in faith, and to say, God, you can have control. You can have it all. God, help us have the faith to sit down. God, do a work here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. And you come.